Welcome to The Favorites, the podcast from the Volume Podcast Network. I am Chad Millman. It is draft week, folks, which means it is one of the most exciting weekends in April. Chances are the NFL draft will outrate the Oscars. That's how high the expectations are for the draft. People might remember that it was last year at this time that the draft saved every sports fan who was in a deep, deep pandemic depression waiting for something to watch. The NFL had the draft. It was a monumental hit. I expect more of that this week. We got a big draft show. We got Action Network senior analyst, our draft expert, Matthew Friedman. We got former director of player personnel for the Buffalo Bills, Jim Monas, who has joined us previously. And of course, we have my BFF, my companion, Simon Hunter. What's going on, man? Chad, it's good to be here, man. Yeah, I uh, had a weekend. I went to Vegas, I survived it, made a bunch of uh, NFL draft bets. And after this show, I'm not hating myself for making all these bets because I, I went down there and I was – everything changes so fast. All these bets I made on Friday, I'm here sitting on Tuesday. I'm like, oh, my God. So much has happened just in three, four days, so – I'm excited to dive in now that we're here finally the draft. As a professional better, when did betting on the draft become something that you found opportunity in versus it just being a novelty? I'm probably the wrong guy. Like, dude, I bet more on the Oscars than I, I'm, I did on the draft. I won huge on that best actress, No Man Land. That was a big winner for me with her. Ladies and gentlemen, Academy Award winner Francis McDormand. Yeah, I don't know. The draft is weird where I, I usually I do bet a decent amount, but this year I've been a little different where like when I was in Vegas, I'm meeting with two guys. They're my quote unquote minions now. So I have them, you know, doing a lot of the run legwork for me and different stuff like that and talking to different people for me. And a lot of people are just so dumbfounded by this draft, by this draft class and what's going to happen. And it's I'm, like, again, I'm excited to hear what these guys are going to say about this draft, because I think. What's so exciting about for me about this upcoming draft, other than people being there, which is great to see. We have people, things are getting back to normal. It's just how much speculation, how much unknown there is going in this draft. We know what the top two picks are going to be. We think we know what number three is going to be. But there's so many little things that can happen this year in the draft that it's going to be really fun to see what happens at four. And that just sets off a whole chain reaction for the whole draft. So I'm, I'm really excited to dive into it. Well, look, I don't want to wait. I don't want to delay. Friedman obsesses over this stuff. Monas you know, knows this like the back of his hand and now practices in the art of gambling. This is a quarterback heavy draft. Trevor Lawrence, Zach Wilson, uh, uh, Justin Fields, Mac Jones, Trey Lance. It could be four quarterbacks taken off the board with the first four picks and everybody has a strong opinion. Today, by the way, as the Action Network handle at Action Network HQ reminded me, uh, is the four-year anniversary of the Bears trading up to get Mitch Trubisky, which is always uh, something that can get someone fired when they remind me of that. Empty set for Trubisky. With time, downfield, wants Robinson, and intercepted again by Shaquille Griffin. And it's intercepted. Trubisky over the middle. Mitchell Trubisky gets caught trying to force something in there. 
You did not have to do that. You did not have to do that. You, you're forcing something. Bonus, I want to go to you first, especially with quarterbacks. When you're handicapping the players in terms of floor and ceiling, break down the five quarterbacks. I think Lawrence has been talked about enough. I, I think the ceiling, I think he still has a ceiling because I do think he has some work to do. I think all these guys do. Most quarterbacks do. You know, the generational thing gets a little carried away. He, I think he is the best quarterback in his draft talent-wise. Um, but he does have some holes in his game as far as just consistency. Um, he does make some strange uh, interceptions, I felt like, sometimes early in games that lead you to, you know, for a guy that's played a lot and, and you're counting on. So I think some of that, but for any quarterback, his, his athleticism, arm strength, his, it's sky the limit. He'll be good enough to win a Super Bowl with, I think, his, his skill set. And his floor doesn't look too bad either. Well, when um, you say he's still got a ceiling and then you mention interceptions uh, and some things that you saw, what is that? Is that a physical thing? Is that a decision-making thing? How do, how, do, how do coaches go about fixing that when they get a player like that? It's decision-making for me with him. And that's why you don't get too concerned about it because you know he's you know, obviously smart enough, capable enough. He'll clean that up. Um, I think the ceiling is because like, I think there's more to come because he still takes hits he shouldn't take. So there's some things he's going to have to really do to protect himself. And, and just some of those turnovers I thought were just a little strange for a guy with his skill set. Um, just strange decision-making. For th That's the only thing I was confused on. Talent-wise, no, there's nothing to worry about. For me, the next guy is Fields. I, I, I like Fields. I, this is the guy I just don't understand. I'm confused about. I, I've talked to enough people. There's no issues with him as far as anything that you need to see. Was You could see it on tape. Mentally, he's so intelligent, off the charts. He's blowing coaches away um, with his you know, X and O knowledge, uh, his leadership, his toughness. I, I'll never understand how he's not the second or third pick of this draft, but that's what we're going to find out soon. I, I can't figure it out. Um, then, yeah, go ahead, Jed. I'm sorry. I just can't, I, I'm with you. I can't figure it out. And before you get onto the next players, I feel like this is the central point of the conversation. Yeah. He's proven it again and again and again at a very high level. And when you talk about Mac Jones and Friedman, I want you to weigh in here. You talk about Mac Jones, you talk about Trey Lance, you talk about Zach Wilson. They're Mitch Trubisky. To me, they're Carson Wentz to me. They're guys who did it for one year and had outsized success versus what the expectations had been versus what their skill set had traditionally shown. And Jim, you can back this up too. Quarterbacks at the NFL level who tend to succeed tend to have played a lot in college football. And Justin Fields has done that. Trevor Lawrence has done that. It makes no sense to me that there is a narrative around Justin Fields that he should not be the number two pick. Friedman, you've got a big board. You put it out there. Tell me I'm right. I agree with you, Chad, which, you know, I, I hate doing. You hate doing um, that. But I, I absolutely agree with you. And it, it's great to hear Jim say that, you know, because Jim has that NFL background. Like he has the, the scouting eye that I will never have. But I absolutely agree. When we look at these quarterbacks, when they were in the 2018 recruitment class, Lawrence was one, but 1A was Justin Fields. Lawrence was the number one pocket passer. Fields was the number one dual threat quarterback. They both played multiple seasons at big programs. Nothing Justin Fields did would make you think that he can't do it in the NFL. And, and Jim, I think you're right about the ceiling that Trevor Lawrence has. 
I think Justin Fields has a ceiling that is right there. I mean, almost as close. I mean, he has the best combination of passing ability and rushing ability out of any quarterback in this class. And increasingly it's a passing league in the NFL, but the quarterbacks who have success are the guys who are able to move around and buy time in the pocket and scramble when they need to. And I think Justin Fields has the ability to do that. Chad, I'm with you. He's my number two. It's not even, I can't believe he's not the number three pick. It's I can't believe he's not the number two pick. All right. Well, let's talk about Zach Wilson then, because it makes no sense to me that Zach Wilson is getting as much hype as he is. Friedman, where do you have him on your big board and what are you seeing in him that gets people excited? And what are you seeing in him that makes you think, well, he's not Justin Fields. Well, he's the number four quarterback for me. I have Lance ahead of him. And with Lance, it's the combination of his youth and his rushing ability. You put those two things together and he he has some mechanical issues, but I think he can clean those up. With Wilson, he's got the arm. The decision-making is somewhat suspect. He's got this gunslinger mentality and he has the arm to make it pay off 80% of the time, but that's not going to cut it in the NFL. And he's... He's a decent runner, but not a great runner. And so you put all of that together combined with the competition. He played subpar competition all of college. And the fact that he really has only one year of doing it well. And it was a weird season. Like the 2020 college football season was not a representative season of what we normally see in the college ranks. And so you put all that together. And for me, that makes him number four. All right. Uh, Monos, where do you have uh, Zach Wilson, Wilson, Mac Jones, Trey Lance? I like Wilson three, and then I would probably go Trey Lance four and Jones five. Um, Wilson, I agree with that, um, Matt. I, he's concerning um, for a number of reasons, too, where he came into the season. I know scouts that had him rated as a free agent coming into this year, and they started seeing him throw the ball around against, you know, whoever you can, you don't want to kill him for competition, but he does have a talent, talented physical skill set as far as moving around, throwing the football. It's obvious. What he hasn't faced is pressure. That offensive line at BYU is outstanding. He is going to have, the game is going to come really fast to him, which he hasn't seen. You can't even, you can't really duplicate. Like Justin Fields has seen what he's going to see in the NFL. Lawrence has seen, those types of the, the playing against Alabama, playing against Ohio State, you're gonna you, you're playing against the NFL. So, I think Wilson does have a learning curve with that. The interesting thing I did here is I heard some questions on his leadership ability, um, as far as being um, just a total team guy. Um, and it's okay to have an ego, but I've heard rumors even at his pro day where he was kind of doing his own thing, wasn't necessarily cheering on all the other teammates, who, who is he hanging out with on the team? So, you know, you got to factor that in a little bit with quarterbacks. Not that they have to be best friends with every player on the team, but that leadership thing is big. I mean, can he handle what he's about to be the face of a franchise? You said something really interesting. Simon, I'm going to come to you for a question in a second. Before the season, Zach Wilson, this, this infuriates me. It infuriates me because it's Mitch Trubisky all over again. <laughs> Zach Wilson before the season was scouted, rated as a free agent quarterback. He has a big year 
against no competition behind a great offensive line. So why are all of a sudden scouts deciding everything they saw that was physical outweighs the advantages he had that allowed him to showcase those physical gifts, which by the way, he had not been able to showcase in any other year. So all of a sudden, He's a superstar, one-year development behind an all-world offensive line against terrible, terrible competition. And this guy's going to be the second pick in the draft. It, Jim, that is idiocy. It is idiocy in the, the science and art of scouting. It's, it makes no sense. It's because you, he blows you away with, when you just see him throw the football and the way he can deliver things from awkward angles. And he does make some special throws in games. And when you hear that before the season, that's just how some scouts may have seen him and, and whatever. They didn't dig in hard enough, maybe. But I agree with you. It's maddening. Basically, Chad, if you're a GM right now, you can, this is like you're listening to your area scouts right now where Matt's going to tell you why, why he likes Trey Lance better than Wilson. And I can tell you why I like Wilson better than Trey Lance. And then we'll get Simon. He'll have it probably stacked differently than we do. And then, Chad, as you as a GM, now you go ahead and take, you know, then make your pick. That's how maddening it can be being a GM when all your scouts see quarterbacks differently. The whole thing's stupid. I got to <laughs> say, it's just stupid. I can't believe this is how we're, we're deciding the fate of teams. No wonder it's like such a stressful job being in a personnel department. You are rolling the fucking die every oh, single time. There is no question about it. I, I could tell you, if I told you those stories about why we like Trubisky and you want to talk about ceiling, how many times that came up with him where, oh, my God, he's got all the physical skill set. He really didn't have the physical. He doesn't throw the ball that naturally if you watch him. He's not the most accurate quarterback. So you look back on it and say, why did we force it? Why do people force Trubisky into this thing when Mahomes was the opposite, like we talked about, where he made every throw, but it just didn't look right. Like, that's not going to work in the NFL. But yet you saw it. You saw everything you needed to see. And it, that's how I feel about Fields. I don't understand. We see it all with Fields. I feel like Fields should be compared to Lawrence more than, you know, than, than these other guys. I just think it's two. And then, then you're guessing. Simon, how much does this remind you of just betting generally? Mm -hmm. Uh, first, I just want to say I'm a nice co-host, Chad. I let all these other guys talk after you have the audacity to put Carson Wentz in the same sentence as Trubisky. Carson Wentz, the guy that was up for an MVP, got his team to be a number one seed. I, I hate you, Chad. Um, yeah, I think when it comes to quarterbacks, like he just broke it down. I think these guys know what they're doing in the sense that we all can throw in the film. We can, we can watch these guys. We can see who has talent above these other people. I think what get lost is all the other BS you just talked about. All these other voices in the room. Everyone has opinions. Everyone has agendas. This QB class is just this pure, perfect cosmic. Like, all these things come together of these five guys. All of them have strengths. They have flaws, different things. The Justin Field things, like he was talking about, does not make sense. You're talking about a guy that's running a 4-4 that can throw and is smart. I don't get it. I will never understand why he's not the number two thing. Uh, the episode that thing came out and it's like, I get that. He says he is under control and it doesn't really affect him. That's just another one of those things where it's like, they just hear little things like that. And I, a GM immediately might be like, okay, well, at least I know this guy over here doesn't have to deal with that or whatever. So it is just weird where we're at this point now where it's like, what do we know about quarterbacks? We all know it's all about the situation they're getting drafted into. Rosen, bust. Look at the situation he was drafted into. 
Is that really his fault? Sam Darnold, bust. Is that really his fault? What did, what did the Jets do to make him improve? We see what the Bills did. We see what the, the Baltimore Ravens did with Lamar. When teams surround their QB and they dictate their team to the quarterback, you can see that that's when the talent excels. So just looking at this draft class, I like all these guys, but all of them have different weaknesses. So coming into it, I, I don't understand anything, but we, we're going to get into it here about the whole Mac Jones thing. I'm going to lose a ton of money when Mac Jones goes third overall. And I didn't believe it. I still don't believe it. But after seeing his presser, who the heck talks about everyone dying by Sunday? Unless you're just prepping the fans being like, listen, this is going to hurt. But this is what I'm doing. So I've been fighting it. I've been betting against it. I, I honestly am finally giving into it. I really do think Mac is actually going to go at three or Kyle Shanahan's the greatest acting coach we've ever seen. All right. So obviously you're referring to uh, Kyle Shanahan when asked at a presser yesterday, will Jimmy Garoppolo be on the roster on Sunday? Um, I can't guarantee that anybody in the world will be alive Sunday. So I can't guarantee who will be on our roster on Sunday. So that goes for all of us. You know, not the the shiniest and brightest of of responses, but he's just not tipping his hand. You say you are heavily, heavily invested in Mac Jones not being drafted number three as far as bets go. Yeah, I, I basically it opened at 15 and a half and I was like, OK, that's good value. I could see him, you know, the Patriots taking him or some team taking him from that 10 to 15 range. And. Then all the hype came out about, you know, Chris Sims came out and said, like, he was the first one, I believe, to say Mac was going to go in the three spot. And I know he's close to Shanahan. So of all the people that would know this, it is Chris Sims. That guy is actually friends with Shanahan. But at the same time, I was like, you know, Shanahan knows he's in the media. I think he might just be trying to have people look one way while he's going another way. So, yeah, man, once it moved to three and a half over under at a plus number, I was just like, in what world is the fifth rated quarterback on almost everyone's big board going to be the third pick overall? They gave up three first round picks to get this guy. And people are comping him to Kirk Cousins. Three first round picks for Kirk Cousins. In what world do we live in? So I'm heavily, heavily bet where I could win these other bets. I have a lot of different bets and stuff. Like I've been following Matt Freeman, the action that bet his stuff. But holy heck, man, if he goes third overall, um, yeah, Chad, I, I'm, I'm going to be hurting about like ten dollars to $12,000. Nice drop, by the way. Very important. Follow everybody. Follow Friedman. Follow Raybon. Follow Simon. Action Network app. See what their picks are. Incredible, tremendous amount of coverage led by Matthew Friedman, but also Chris Raybon, Samantha Praviti, Sean Corner, the whole entire Action Network team. Pretty amazing draft coverage. Uh, if, if you're the type of person who watches the draft Friedman, I want to start with you. What is the best way to approach betting on it so the experience is a little bit better? Well, I should just say uh, Simon's on the anti-Mac Jones train. I'm very much on the Mac Jones train. And so uh, if Mac Jones goes number three, it doesn't matter if I lose all of my other bets. Like that will be pretty much what, what makes the, uh, the weekend for me. So uh, I'm hoping that that happens. Um, but I also have some Trey Lance. And I should say, there's a chance that Trey Lance, he's still very much live to go number three. I don't think that's probable. I think it is likely to be Mac Jones. And so if you are someone who watches the draft and you want to have more long shots, if that's the kind of type of, uh, you know, sports speculation you want to have on this event, then I think Lance Jones to go number three, you could put some money on that. It's not likely to happen. If it does happen, 
you're going to be very happy. There are some other ways that you can play uh, the top 10. If you think of it more as investing, then you'll probably want to be a little sharper, take some overs and unders. And again, look at what we have in the, the Action Network app. And we also have the uh, Insiders tool at Action Labs, where we break down our edges for each of the prop bets that are on the market. Uh, and so that's more of the investing type of strategy. But if you want to have fun, if you want it to be more long shots, then there are definite ways to play it. And you could do that by matching up players with teams, right? So you think, okay, Devonte Smith, I think he's got a chance to go number six to the Dolphins. And you can bet that at some pretty good plus money. That is the way to do it if you want to speculate versus invest. All right, so Jim, if you are you know, a couple of years removed from being the player personnel director for the Bills. Now you like to gamble. How are you approaching betting on the draft? What, ex- what, what do you expect this experience to be like for you? This has been fun. So I put some stuff in uh, last week a little bit. Matt, you're making me smile because I took uh, Smith to go top 10. That was one of my, I feel like somebody's got to take him. Just, I know it's going to be hard with that weight. I mean, you are betting against, I mean, he is, you know, history says no, but it, you know, he was so, so talented. And, and I just feel like somebody will take a shot on that talent, but um, this will be fun. I was telling Matt before we started the show about um, in gambling rooms, trust me on this in every draft room in the NFL scouts. How do you think we got through the draft? I mean, we're all looking at each other like, Oh, I know he's going in the second round. No, he's not. He stinks. And then that's how you start betting in the draft room. It's a little smaller than probably what, but I'm telling you right now, there's some good gambling going on in every draft room. So it's always been done. Now it's just, you know, getting talked about more, but in the inside, there's some, there's some nice betting going on. Do you remember your biggest bet as the, uh, when you're in the scouting ranks? We just, I remember just talking to, um, we didn't think the year the Bills took Eric Wood, um, I think he was the first center selected. I have to go back and look to make sure I get this right. But Alex Mack, I thought, I think we bet that there would only be one center taken in the first round. And I think they ended up being two. And this was just, I was like, there's no way anybody's going to take another center after Mack. And uh, ended up, I think Wood was at the end of the bills, took him, and, and we were like, oh man, we looked at each other. Like, I remember just putting out the money, boom. So that was one that I remember I lost on. Freeman, you're shaking your head. Do you remember that draft? Is that, is, that what you're, is that what you're referencing? Yeah, absolutely. Two centers in the first round. You hardly ever see that. That was the 2009 draft. And, and both guys ended up becoming very good really, players. Very good players. And, yep. and you had Max Unger going in the second round, who also became a, a pro bowler. Good like the player. top three centers going uh, in the top 50 picks, all of them actually panning out. A great class for centers. Uh you are channeling your your inner Mel Kuyper right there, Freeman. <laughs> full on, full recollection of every single center taken in the first fifty picks in that draft and how they did in their career. Something else. So, Chad, would you be happy with the Bears trading up for Justin Fields if he's there at ten? Of course. That's what, a possibility. Keep getting, keep getting hyped about Andy Dalton videos that they're posting on Twitter and Instagram that then immediately get made fun of by every single NFL meme account that exists in social media. Like, 
I don't, I don't, I, I honestly don't understand why the Bears would keep keep Nagy and keep Ryan Pace around for a year if the best they're going to do is Andy Dalton. That's not going to get them to the playoffs. It's not going to get butts in the seat. It's not going to make people want to sign up for season tickets. It's not going to make the team excited. There's zero upside in signing Andy Dalton other than the fact you've got someone who can line up behind center. So I think you have to leverage the future to get a guy like Justin Fields who's actually proven it. That's it. Oh, no, I agree. I, I, if he gets to nine or ten – he probably will nine. The, the, the Bears or the Broncos will probably take. You would think if they like Fields, but if he gets to ten, I think the Bears make a move. How could Justin Fields get to ten? Let's play this out. Let's I play on the top ten. Let's play at the top ten. Friedman, go ahead. I want to hear your top ten and tell me how Justin Fields ends up dropping that far. So one, I should just say blanket statement. There's been a great study on this done by Benjamin Robinson, who runs the site Grinding the Mocks. He did a study showing that quarterbacks fall in the draft relative to where they are mocked. And intuitively, you could kind of sense that, you know, mock drafters will hype these guys up and then quarterbacks will fall. We saw it two years ago with Drew Locke, who is regularly mocked in round one and went to round two. Even Dwayne Haskins was expected to go in the top 10, fell to number 15. And how it could break out on this board, we know the the top two guys will say Mac Jones goes number three, Kyle Pitts number four. Jamar Chase, number five. And then you have the Dolphins who are locked into a wide receiver. Let's let's say they go Devontae Smith, number six. You have the Lions at number seven. And you have Panay Sewell, who is the best offensive tackle in this class. He's a guy they could build around. For the next decade, he could be their left tackle. So let's say they take him at number seven. Rashawn Slater at number eight is a guy who is right in that range or you could have the Panthers go with J.C. Horn. They're linked to both of those players. Let's say they go Rashawn Slater, number eight, because they want a left tackle, a franchise left tackle for their new quarterback in Sam Darnold. And then at number nine, you have the Broncos with two quarterbacks on the board. And let's say they prefer Trey Lance. That would be, I think, a mistake, but it could happen because other franchises ahead of them made the exact same mistake. And that's how you get to Lance coming to the Cowboys at number 10. They're not going to take him. They're looking for a cornerback. And now all of a sudden you have the Giants sitting there at number 11 with a GM who's never traded down, who actually now the first time in his career might trade down because at number 11, you have this quarterback there who is one of the best in the class falling out of the top 10. It's not as costly for the Bears or the Patriots, for some other team to trade up to number 11 to get him. At that point, it could really happen. Simon, you're shaking your head. Uh, no, I, I mean, nothing. Like No one knows. I mean, Matt can tell you himself, he loves drafts. I don't, off the top of my head, I can't remember anyone that gets the top five picks. Like, we have consensus. Everyone's saying, like, the same kind of mocks what the top five picks are going to be. That's a guarantee that top five picks are not going to be exactly what everyone's saying. That's just how the draft goes. Like teams do weird stuff. The Bears trade up for Mitch Trubisky. That was weird. I did not see that coming. So, you know, that's what I bet on. Like I'm betting the over pits over five and a half just because it's a good plus number. And it's like, I get it. This guy mm-hmm. is next level talent. Let's just go through the tight ends NFL right now. They're the best. Waller, that guy was not a top 
mm-hmm. you know, three or four round pick. Travis Kelsey, this guy was not a top pick. Kittle was not a top pick. So I love Pitts, but just on the value scale, these GMs, they have the same board I have. Like that, that value compared to the quarterback is so low. Atlanta's GM is a new GM. That'd be a very dumb pick to take Pitts there. I get the upside for the team in the future, but that's the kind of thing you need to trade for assets because your team is terrible and you need more players and you're in cap hell. Or you just take a quarterback because Matt Ryan's going to be going in two years. That's not one of those where it's like, yeah, let's take a tight end that's incredible and can have 1,000 yards of 10 touchdowns. It just doesn't make any sense logically for the Atlanta to make that pick. Let's, I'd, I'd love to hear what, what Jim has to say about this coming from that NFL insider perspective. Simon, the one area where I will push back, and I don't disagree with the idea of the, the valuation. I don't think it makes a lot of sense to take a tight end that high. Where I will push back is that Atlanta has shown their hand and they've already indicated they're not going to take a quarterback. Now, given that they're not going to take a quarterback, whether they should or shouldn't, that's the mindset that they have. They have Matt Ryan. They feel that they can win now if they add another pass-catching talent in that offense. A team is not going to trade up with Atlanta because they know a quarterback's not going number four. They know a quarterback isn't going number five. Like Cincinnati is very locked into that pick. So a team's not going to trade up to number four when they could look to trade up to number six and still have a passer on the board. So like, that's the one area where I think, although they, they should look to trade and they probably want to, they've lost a lot of their leverage. So they will probably have to stay put. And if they do that, I do think that they think Pitts is the pick. That's everything that they've indicated. Jim, what's your take on what Simon said about an NFL GM looking at a tight end because this tight end happens to be all world, but not, but that pick not being close to the value that you would otherwise get with other players. I hundred percent agree with Simon. It's hard. It's hard. It's a hard swallow to take a tight end that high and Matt, to your point, that's, uh, that's a really great point. If you feel that strongly that Atlanta's not taking a tight end, then yeah, then that makes a lot of sense why nobody would want to go up if they're not worried. I just, Pitts, Pitts is, a, is being looked at as a receiver almost. It's almost like they're, they're treating him, which he's not, he's going to play tight end, but they're treating him like a number one wide out. And it, it seems you're going to have to, to get the value out of him if you're taking him that high. How? are you going to take a guy that high that is so dependent on the court people getting him the ball? And that's, that's a big hard swallow if you're a GM to take a tight end that high. And I love every, we all know Pitts is legit talent wise. It's not that it's the, are you going to get the value out of that guy? So let me pick apart something you just said, which also speaks to the idiocy of this scouting Mm -hmm. science. Yeah. They're grading him as a receiver. That's how they're justifying taking him at number four. Mm -hmm. This whole game is justification. How can we justify Mm -hmm. making this decision that we know we shouldn't make, but we feel like there could be glory on the other side in the one in 1000 chance. You know, the reason Moneyball was a brilliant book and a brilliant movie. And I just watched it the other night with one of my kids. It's because it took the emotion out of the decision-making. It took the the art. He's got a good body. He can throw, make throws from, you know, across the field that nobody else can make. All these things that get guys excited about talent, 
Oh, you left the best one out. That when he goes, he goes, you see his girlfriend, you see how ugly his girlfriend is? Yeah. No confidence. Exactly, right? Okay, let's move on. Artie, who do you like? I, I like Perez. He's uh, got a classic swing. He's real clean stroke. Right. I don't know. Got an ugly girlfriend. What's that mean? Ugly girlfriend means no confidence. Okay. And so, like, all of these things, as much as we think analytics and data is driving these decisions, it's still not. And it, it's, it's costing teams millions and the amount of money spent on these teams, the amount of money at stake to build these teams, the amount of money at stake if you win, the fact there is anything less than near perfect unanimity on how evaluations are done because there is one way to analyze the data is astonishing to me. Think about Miami, everybody. So like you said, Matt, everybody's assuming Miami is going to take a wide out, right? Well, what if two is not the guy? What if Tua is like, well, so you're investing to help your franchise quarterback that you already invested in, but are you sure that Tua show you anything to make you feel good about him this year? I watched him every game. I wouldn't, I couldn't come away saying one good thing about Tua other than he is tough and he's battling back from injury and I don't want to write him off yet, but he was, he didn't show much to build around this year. So, and you already have, you have a tight end and receiver there. So you're going to give him more weapons, but if Tua is not good enough, that picks, that pick wasted. Uh, the other thing that is interesting to me, Devontae Smith's weight. Yeah. Boy, that's become a stupid fucking conversation. You're telling me that a guy who showed it on the field, who was transcendent on the field, who could make incredible cage- catches, who can run away from people, who can get physical in traffic, because he weighs 165, 170 now, he's not going to be able to add on that weight. Tariq Hill is 185 and he's 5'10 and he's faster than everybody and does everything that's asked of him. It's like, what are we talking about here? Why are we trying to talk ourselves out of good decisions? Because you think you can be smarter by like, by making a different decision? Jim, I'm disgusted by your brethren. It's maddening. It is maddening. It is, you could talk to yourself. I always tell people, give me a player. It's like, and you kind of compare it to gambling. I could tell you why to take any team any night. I could probably, I could talk myself into any team, just like you can talk yourself into and out of a player. You really can. You can drive yourself crazy. I can talk you into Trey Lance. I could talk you out of him. I really believe that. And if I'm with him, if it wasn't such a quarterback heavy draft, I do think he'd be a top 10 pick because everything you hear is that he's a quarterback that Hmm. plays wide receiver. Like he's an actual football savant where he'll come back to the coaches and he'll be like, tell them exactly how the defense is playing him and how they're lining up and how they can beat that. So if you just watch the footage of him, like we talked about earlier, like I think it was like a month ago, because I was just saying like, I couldn't believe it. They were saying he was going to drop out mm-hmm. of the top 10. And I get it now. Like the, all the weight issues is like workout wasn't the best, yada, yada, yada. I just see a guy that is truly, he's what you look for in a football player. He's super smart, really hardworking, and he can score. He has that natural ability to somehow find the end zone. So mm-hmm. We're going to break it all down here, but these wide receivers, you really can't go wrong with any of them, but he's just my favorite because I feel like I know exactly what I'm getting. I'm getting a lock number two that has the upside of a consistent number one. So I I do love him, but I can see him now slipping out of the top 10 because what you just said, the whole weight thing, people are really harping on the weight. It's interesting. Friedman, what do you think of that? Devontae Smith, I don't have issues with the weight. Uh, What we've seen is that he's, He's comparable in some way. And Jim, I'd like your thoughts on, on these comps 
it, it's hard to come up with comps with him because there haven't been that many guys in the NFL with his size um, and his, his athleticism. He's not like a great athlete, but I think he's like Isaac Bruce or a little bit like Chad Johnson in that he's smaller. He doesn't win with his size. He's not a blazing athlete, but he's just a really good all around football player specifically with his route running. Uh, and, and Simon mentioned like his intelligence as well, his ability to see mm-hmm. angles, to know where to go versus defenses on the field. Uh, and so I think he could have NFL success despite his size and despite his, we'll say, average athleticism. I think he could still have success. The drawbacks for me, and this is more like a numbers-based perspective versus a, a football perspective. It's a little bit disconcerting that he didn't break out until his junior season. And normally we see guys, when they go in the first round, The guys who tend to do well in the NFL are the guys who go early to the NFL. The guys who leave as redshirt sophomores or juniors. The guys who go in the first round but go as seniors, typically they don't go a year early because they weren't going to be first rounders. They were probably going to be second or third rounders, and they had to stay another year in order to improve their draft stock. And so he might go in the first round now, but I think it's it's troubling that he could have gone to the NFL last year, but he didn't because he wasn't going to be drafted ahead of Jerry Judy, and he wasn't going to be drafted ahead of Henry Ruggs. Like NFL evaluators last year looked at him, and even though he was the most productive guy on that team last year, they still thought he's not as good as these other two guys. That is a little bit more of a red flag than his size. Yeah, it's a hard pick in the top 10 because you, you're battling the history of these. We, I just had a little chart up here that I was looking at that we, my friends and I were talking about last week with receivers under 170. The history is awful. They don't make it. You know, the one thing that he does have that I've talked to, my friends are still scouting in the NFL, he has elite toughness like that, that, that you can't find. And those guys do seem to make it in the end, like those receivers that have that kind of toughness, because not every receiver has that, like, I just, I'm going to do everything. I don't care. He has that. So you're, as a, if you're drafting him, you feel good that he is going to make it. How great will he be? We'll see. But to take him in the top 10 with that weight, it's hard. And Chad, it goes back to everything you keep saying. It's maddening. So, all right, let's talk about some best bets. Let's give people something actionable. Jim Monis, former director of player personnel for the Buffalo Bills. Go first. Give me your best bets for draft night. Uh, my two that I put in that I'm, I got decent odds at were uh, Sertain being the first corner. Um, I do feel like he's going to be the first corner because he's just a little not – that, not that Horn isn't valuable, but Sertain is clean. Like he's clean all the way across the board. Horn – has some, there's some issues, not off the field, but he does have some things that might concern some teams. Here we go again with talking yourself out of guys, but it, certain is clean, nothing to worry about. So I feel like he'll be the first corner. I think the, um, I, I got one best or first D lineman, uh, the Michigan pay. Um, I took him as the first D lineman drafted over Phillips from Miami only because once again, pay is clean. Phillips has a concussion history and concussions scare teams away. So I thought there was some value there. Um, and I think it's worth throwing something on fields, you know, going the th- going third, I guess that's the, I'm hoping these teams are evaluating talent and the 49ers are just sitting there and, and they pick fields, but you know, I, I don't ha- know how he could last. 
So I threw a little something on him, even though it looks bad now. I just still threw it down there. Um, there was one more that I did. Uh, oh, Elijah Moore, the receiver from Mississippi, to go in the top 32. I put him in a week ago and got good odds at that. that those odds have changed drastically, so I thought that was a good play. Let me ask you a question. So you're talking mm-hmm. about Quiddy Pay uh, mm-hmm. mm-hmm. uh, for Michigan as a defensive yeah. lineman. So first defensive lineman picked. And J.C. Horn, you were comparing him to Patrick Sertan. Yeah. Um, you use the phrase, these guys are clean. Clean. In scouting parlance, what does that mean? Injuries and character issues. You're not worried about anything. So when you hear a guy say they're clean, that is a great, that is a huge relief, especially picking that high. Got it. Uh, that's interesting. That's good terminology right there. That's mm-hmm. what they call the inside dope. <laughs> Friedman, give me your best bets. All right. I've, I've got a few. Some of them aren't very sexy. I'll just say so. <laughs> two, two of them aren't sexy. One of them I, I think is a little sexier. One of the ones that isn't sexy, Trevon Morig as the number one safety off the board. You have to pay <clears throat> around minus 400, yeah. minus 500 juice on this. So that's a lot. That said, I think he's a lock to be the number one safety. Uh, he's going routinely in mock drafts and on big boards you look at. He's going in the 20s and 30s. The two guys who could maybe challenge him, Richie Grant and Javon Holland, they're going routinely in the 40s and 50s. Like the, You have Jamar Chase yeah. in this class, and the edge that he has <clears throat> over other wide receivers, Like I think that's the edge that Trevon Morig has over these other safeties. This line should be minus a thousand. So to be able to get it at minus 400, you know, you're still laying a lot of juice, but I think there's a lot of value there. He's like 90% or greater to be the number one safety in this class. I'm yet to see a mock draft that has a safety ahead of Morig. So love him as the number one safety in this class. Another one, again, it's not sexy. You have to put a lot of juice on it, but under five and a half quarterbacks, like, come on. There are going to be five in this class, but there will not be a sixth. There absolutely will not be a sixth quarterback going in round one. It just will not happen. It's happened once in NFL history. And I bet Jim could could say when it was. It was the fantastic 1983 all-time great quarterback class where you had multiple Hall of Famers, Elway, Marino, Jim Kelly, right? This is not that class. There are five guys in it. They're going in round one, but let me put it this way. It's likelier that there are four guys in round one and one of them slips all the way out than that there will be a sixth guy that goes in the first round. There just is not a number six quarterback in this class who is getting anything close to the kind of hype that you see a guy have before he goes into Mm -hmm. round one. I think this is like a 1% chance, and even that feels high, of a six quarterback going in round one. So you bet this at minus 400, minus 500, bet it to minus 2,000. Like you're not going to have to, but like that is where this number should be. And then the sexier one, the one at plus money. If you look at Washington, they have a couple of, of pretty big needs. They could go with a tackle, They could go with a wide receiver and on defense, they could go with a linebacker in the first round. Now out of the sharp mocks I look at in over half of them, they're going with a linebacker, but right now you can bet at plus 200 for them to go with a defensive player. And I think a lot of the books are just thinking that this is an offensive tackle spot right here, but this class there's not much of a difference between the number four offensive tackle and the number seven offensive tackle. So Washington could easily wait till the second round to get an offensive tackle. 
an off-ball linebacker and number 19, like that is the wheelhouse for like three linebackers who could go there. And that could be someone who immediately steps in and is a starter on day one for their defense. So at plus 200, this should be a coin flip. And if you want to be even a little bit bolder, you could specifically bet at plus 300 for them to take a linebacker. And so whether you go plus 200, plus 300, either one of those, I think there's value there. This should be a coin flip and you're getting great plus money. Thank God you gave us something that actually didn't cost us, you know, a thousand dollars to make a bet. Simon, can, before I come to you, before I come to you, can you name the other three quarterbacks chosen in the first round in the 1983 draft? Friedman just named Jim Kelly, John Elway, and Dan Marino. Can you name the other three? Mm, no, the only one I could kind of think of is the Jets quarterback because I watched NFL films the other day and it was like one of the greatest <laughs> games ever was like the Jets guy playing right. against uh, Marino. Um, yeah. nah, You're talking I, about I Ken O'Brien. Ken O'Brien, yes. Selling cards. You also <clears throat> could have chosen Tony Eason. Never got that. Todd Blackledge. Blackledge, I was said that. <laughs> what a magical draft that was. It, that's the, that's another thing. Uh, like the fact that Marino, you look at that draft, how he fell. It's that's, this whole thing's a crap shoot. Um, the year wanna... before that the Chicago bears did not need a quarterback in the 83 draft because the year before they had drafted Jim McMahon, a punky QB from Brigham young university. He's in the Dippers Hall of Fame. He's one of our favorite Dippers. It's true. Um, Give me your best bets. So, again, I do weird stuff. I'm all about crazy value and looking to th- be like, if I go three for 10, I made a profit Make better in the draft because I just like to bet on weird stuff to happen. So, right now, you can get 50 to one that Fields or Trey Lance will be the second pick overall. So, oh, yeah. I know it's locked in. Mm-hmm. I know everyone's saying the Jets are locked in, but again, do we really know? Like they have the same tape I have. This kid played for three years at BYU. He averaged his first year. I think he had 13 touchdowns, five interceptions. His second year had 15 touchdowns, 10 interceptions. So again, I know he made a huge jump. That was pretty amazing. But uh, I, I still think there's an outside chance. Something crazy happens here. at picks two and three. Um, people have locked in right now that chase is going to be the fifth pick uh, for the Bengals. I'm hoping the Bengals GM smarter than that. I think he can look at the history and see that how do teams win Super Bowls? They win on the D-line, they win on the O-line. I have a quarterback coming off a terrible knee injury. I mean, everyone saw this guy's scar online. His his knee got jacked up. I have no idea if Joe Burrow's going to be good or not because he was under pressure constantly last year. And we all know the David Carr, we all talk about David Carr, Andrew Luck, these guys that get hit early in their careers, it just ruins their career. So – I'm praying the Bengals take an O-lineman at the fifth pick. And right now you can get plus 200, plus 250 at certain books that they draft an O-lineman. So that's another bet I really like right now. And I already talked about Pitts over five and a half. You can get that some books at plus 250 now. So those are a couple of things I'm betting things are going to happen. So I'm betting a crazy good value that they're going to happen that way. Uh, I like your 50 to one pick. Um, I think that's really interesting. Yeah, the odds have gotten better. Like, I bet it earlier, and then all this 
Fields have just been dropped. Like, again, I'm going to lose so much money when Matt goes three, but Fields has just been dropping. His odds, like, I think his over-under now is like nine and a half at some books. Yeah. So if, if you might be able to keep waiting, and that Fields will get better odds to be picked the second pick or wrong, they're going to take it again because, like I said, it's up to 50 to one now. So I'm just betting on that these GMs have kept things in tight. I don't know. I mean, he can talk about from personal experience. You never know when the owner is just going to walk in the war room and say, I want to take Haskins. I don't care what anyone wants to do in the like the Washington football team. And they took Haskins. He's off the team in two years. So you never know the owners. And that's why I like betting. I like to bet on weird things happening because people wake up draft day morning and it gets weird. I mean, like another one, the, the Browns owner having a homeless man tell him to take Johnny Menzel. The list goes on and on. So I'm again, I'm betting on weird things to happen. Jim, did the owner of the Bills at any point come into your draft room and say, we got to take this guy? <laughs> he wishes he did. <laughs> he still wishes he did every night, probably. He told us who to take. We just didn't listen. He, did he tell you to take Mahomes? Yeah. 100%. 100%. Well, I bet you wish you had that one back. <laughs> We all do. We all look well. McDermott, McDermott's still there. So that's good. I mean, but he had a chance to say yes too. we all did, but we talked about that before where, Hey, the whole NFL missed. He should have been the first pick of the draft. So, and and I agree. And we all, Simon, that is so true. I love that. um, It's almost too scary how they've just placed Wilson onto the jets from the start, but the jets haven't come out and say anything. Now, you know, sometimes I, you know, you, you wish it, you know, you'd love to see the Jets. I would love to see the Jets take fields at two. I'm with you. At that value, why not? It's like betting on these golfers. Who really knows who's going to win these golf terms? Same thing here. It's like at that value, you have to hit it once every 50 years and you're paid out. So <laughs> I, I, I'm liking the value here that something weird is going to happen. Because like you just said, the Jets have said nothing. No nothing. little weird inkling either. So it's been very interesting how quiet they have been. All right, Jim Monis, former player personnel director for the Buffalo Bills, friend of the podcast, turned professional better, Matthew Friedman, friend of no one, but uh, also also an excellent, excellent prognosticator when it comes to the draft. Simon Hunter, my BFF, co-host of the Favorites Podcast. Thank you all very much for your informed conversation. I am Chad Millman. This has been the favorites from the volume podcast network. The volume is now on YouTube. We'll be uploading new episodes and clips daily, including some past interviews and moments from all of our shows. Go subscribe to our YouTube channel at youtube.com backslash the volume. Download it, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, wherever you get your podcasts. We'll be back on Thursday for the Thunderdome edition of the Favorites Podcast. Till next time, love you. Love you.